It is always a delight to be able to sit here at the front and watch our children go to Children's Church. I've said it before. I wish all of you at some time could see the faces of these young people as they go out. Uh, There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Thank God for the blessing of children. Now, some mom is sitting here, some dad's sitting here saying, yeah, but you don't know how it is with a 17-year-old. I remember. And I still say, thank God for children. Thank you. I got one amen. <laughs> David, I always appreciate your hymn histories. Thank you, sir. It helps me, and I, I'm sure it does you too, to, as you sing these hymns and as you think about them when you're not in church, you remember a spark, maybe just a little bit, a sentence or two that David has mentioned in church about the person who authored this. And it adds a great deal to it. Not just words out of a book, but someone that we've learned a little bit about. Uh, put these words together by the grace of God, and we enjoy them. And I don't know how old, I, I missed that part, Dave, uh, when she wrote this, but it's been a long time, I do know that. And we're still enjoying that today. I have to add this, just out of me, but I hope the church never gets to a place where we're singing one phrase seven times when everybody's standing up, and we forget these old hymns. Everybody doesn't agree with me, and you're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John 15. We started a series on John 15 last Sunday morning. We're going to continue it this morning, and I'm looking at two more messages out of the 15th chapter of John. <clears throat> so perhaps you could read it. Uh, sometime during the course of the week. And just think about uh, what's involved in this psalm. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to review for just a couple of minutes this morning from some things that we saw last week. Uh, dementia hadn't set in yet, and I haven't forgotten that I dealt with some of these things last week. But I do want to review a couple of uh, things that we spoke about last week before we get into uh, the matter of abiding. And that's where we're going this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, we have opened before us your word, and we have resident in our hearts God the Holy Spirit, and I pray that he would be our teacher. I pray that he would give to us insight into the meaning of the word of God, and I pray that he would help us to apply the truths that we see on the pages of the sacred scriptures. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us to abide in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Four thoughts must be kept in mind if we are to understand the first 11 verses of John 15. I mentioned these, at least touched on them last week, and some in more detail than others. First of all, the first thing that must be kept before us in our thought pattern 
is that this passage is for believers only. <clears throat> this passage is for believers only. Now, why say that? Because this passage teaches us how to abide in Christ. And a person who has not yet come to faith in Christ cannot abide in Christ. You have to be in Christ. The individual has to be in Christ before he can abide in Christ. So this passage of Scripture is for believers only. Second, these verses revolve around a symbol, the vine and the branches. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, Jewish minds would have grasped that symbolism immediately. It was part of their heritage. Uh, they were aware that the Old Testament spoke more than once of a vine being brought out of Egypt and a vine dresser planting that vine, the vine dresser being an earth worker, for that's what those two words mean, vine dresser, earth worker. He cultivated and wanted fruit. Uh, so it was part of their daily life. It was something they grasped from the Old Testament. Uh, they saw this emblem sculptured on the gates of the temple as they moved around the city. And it was also on some of their coins. So anytime a vine was mentioned, anyone in the nation of Israel immediately grasped the meaning. Now, let me uh, put this note in here and um, have planned. I don't know whether I'll get to it or not, but I have planned to refer to this at least one other time briefly. It's important to note in interpreting figures of speech, a degree of caution is necessary. Every single detail is not to be pressed for some great, deep theological truth. If you'll just file that away, when you're dealing with symbols, uh, when you're dealing with things like this, figures of speech, don't press every single detail for some great, deep theological truth. Third of the four things that needs to be kept in mind here is that the primary subject of verse, verses 1 through 11 is abiding. The primary subject in verses 1 through 11 is abiding. As we noted last week, and we'll see again, the word abide is used ten times in these verses. That's the thrust. That's the main thrust of the verses. It is not bearing fruit, though that's mentioned, but it is abiding. And that leads to the fourth statement that we need to keep in mind. Abiding in Christ results in fruit bearing. So fruit bearing is not unimportant. I wouldn't say that. I'm just saying that the main thrust of the passages that we're looking at, verses 1 through 11, is abiding in Christ. And we're going to talk about what that means. Uh, but it does not rule out fruit bearing. That's very important. The, the vine dresser, the earth worker, is looking for fruit. The way fruit is produced is by abiding. We'll come back to that again. Everywhere we look in these verses, it is abundantly clear that the Lord Jesus is interested in the branches, that is the believers, bearing fruit. Look at verse 2. John 15, verse 2, every branch in me that does not, there's the word, bear fruit. He takes away every branch that 
bears fruit. He is interested in fruit bearing. If you drop down to verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, there it is. He bears much fruit. Verse 8, by this shall my father know that uh, my father, excuse me, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. In addition to this, verse 2, if you'll go back with me for just a moment, verse 2 tells us that the, what the vine dresser does in order that fruit might be produced. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I mentioned last week and talked about this last week. Um, I want to say this. I know that it won't mean much to, to folks here this morning, but I checked four different Greek lexicons, four different Greek dictionaries, and they tell us that the primary meaning of takes away is to lift up. So this is not something made up by some expositors and, and whatever. This is what the word, this is what the word the original language means. It means to lift up. Uh, that is, he takes branches that are trailing along the ground and lifts them up so that they are exposed to the sun and to the air. The second thing that he does mentioned in verse 2 is he prunes. And that word it, in itself contains two thoughts. It contains the thought of cleansing. The vine dresser cleanses. Um, you have, many of you have flowers. Some of you have some beautiful flowers. Uh, and, and you know that sometimes things get on your flowers that have to be cleansed, taken off. We understand that cleansing. Uh, the word here um, in verse 3 says, You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he lifts up, he prunes, he cleanses, uh, and it does include the thought of pruning. Now, question Why does he do all this? Why does the vine dresser do all this? Because he's interested in fruit bearing, he's interested in the branches, that is, the Christians. He's interested in fruit bearing. What a thought! And in closing last week, I touched on this. What is the fruit? What is the fruit that the vine dresser is looking for in us? What does our Lord, Jesus, I am the vine, what does he want for fruit? Well, I believe a good place to begin is Galatians 5, 22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit, and that is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness and self-control i believe that's what our lord the true vine is looking for in the branches that is the believers i don't think we have to get up in the morning and wonder what does the lord want for me this is the fruit that he's interested in and in my mind that leads to the question how he wants us to bear fruit how do we bear fruit answer to the question is to abide and that's the thrust of the passage to abide in him therefore we become a fruit bearing people look at this word abide and how many times it's used here I've mentioned it to you already verse 4 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 4, it's used three times. Abide. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, there's our word again. Once in verse 5, verse 6, anyone who does not abide. Verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Twice. Verse 9, it's used once. Just as the Father has loved me, so have, uh, I have also loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. Verse 10, it's twice. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Ten times. Do you get the idea? This passage and Jesus wanted his branches, his believers, to abide in him. Well, that brings us to where we want to pick up this morning. Most of these things we touched on at least briefly last week. The meaning and concept of the word abide and of abiding. Verse 4 again, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. First, as to its meaning, the word simply means there's nothing difficult here. You don't have to, one doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to understand. To abide means to dwell in or to remain in. It's a very simple word to main, but let me get to that in just a moment. To dwell in or to remain in. That's what abiding is all about. That is to maintain constant fellowship with Him. To abide in Him is to maintain constant fellowship with Him. To always be in contact with Him. Someone expressed it this way. To be in Him is union. To abide in Him is communion. To be in Him is union. To abide in Him is communion. Being in Him is the source of life. There's no life unless we are in Him. So being in Him is the source of life. Abiding in Him is the source of fruit. To me, that's pretty succinct. To be in Him is union. To abide in Him is communion. Being in Him is the source of life. Abiding in Him is the source of fruit. Maybe I can illustrate this matter of abiding. This is an illustration that has been around for a long time. I find it helpful. When Archbishop James Usher, the man responsible for the dating system that was used in the first Schofield Bible... When he was an old man, he was afflicted, afflicted by a severe case of gout. In the morning, he was carried to a place on the east side of his house so that he might have the benefit of the sun's full rays. At noon, he would be moved to another window to get the best rays of the sun at noontime. And in the middle of the afternoon, he would be taken to the west side of his home to enjoy the warmth of the sun in the western sky. He was abiding 
in the sun all day. We are to abide in Christ. There is to be a constant contact with Him. There is to be a fellowship that is to be maintained. We come to Him by faith. But it is through abiding in Him that fruit is produced. Look at the first sentence of verse 4. <clears throat> abide in me and I in you. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is not simply a declarative sentence, nor is it a promise. This is a command. Abide in me. Jesus is teaching his disciples about abiding, the urgency of abiding in him. One man writes in his analysis of this passage, When our Lord says, Abide in me, he is talking about the will, about choices, about decisions that we make. We must decide to do those things which expose us to Him and keep ourselves in contact with Him. Just as with Archbishop Usher, he made a conscious decision. He had someone carry him because he couldn't move on his own. He had someone carry him. It was a conscious decision on his part to move to one side of the house, then at noonday move to the, another place where he could get the full rays of the sun, and then the eastern skies would be before him, and he would be moved there in the evening. A conscious decision. This gentleman goes on to say, this is what it means to abide in him. We have been placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now we must choose to maintain that relationship by the decisions that we make. Decisions to expose ourselves to the Word in order to learn about Him and to fellowship with Him. Abide in Him. And there is a contrast here in this passage, though. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then look at the last part of the verse. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It seems to me that we live in an age of independency. I want to do it myself, and I want to do it my way, and I will make whatever decisions I want to make. Totally independent of anyone else, and even to a point of being independent of our Lord. We think, sometimes some of us think, not everybody all the time, but sometimes some of us think we can bear fruit on our own. I'll do this. I think we come to that because we do so many other things. And often uh, our Lord, our Savior is not part of it. We feel like we can earn a living. We feel like we can raise a family. We feel like we can teach a Sunday school class. We feel like we can sing in the choir. We feel like we can be a pastor. We feel like we can be a businesswoman, businessman. We feel like we can be a mother or a father. Seems to me people in the generation in which we are living feel like we can do about anything we want to, anytime we want to. An air of total independency. So what does Jesus mean when he says, apart from me you can do nothing? Very simply, it means we cannot produce fruit. We cannot bear fruit without him. Now I suppose we could tie fruit on a vine like we put ornaments on a Christmas tree. But that wouldn't be real fruit, would it? Real fruit 
comes from the character of the vine and from the life of the vine. Therefore, if we are to produce fruit, we must abide in Him. That brings us to verse 6, and I think probably the most difficult verse in these first 11 verses. 15.6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. There are several possible ways in which this passage, of scripture, this verse of Scripture is interpreted. It can be understood as the branches representing true Christians who perish. And there are those who read verse 6 and think that a person who's born again can be lost because they say, look here, if he does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. So some read this as being a passage which teaches Christian people can ultimately be lost. To accept that kind of an interpretation, however, is to reject the consistent biblical teaching that eternal life is unending. If we have eternal life, that's just what it means. Eternal life. It's unending life. Uh, to accept that kind of a, an interpretation is also to reject some passages that most of us well know. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation, Paul? None. Uh, also, John 10, 27 and following. So, to me, uh, just the words themselves and then other passages of Scripture rule out that kind of interpretation, saying that verse 6 means that people who have come to faith in Christ can ultimately be lost. There is a second way this verse is sometimes interpreted. It is referred to nominal or professing Christians. People who made a profession of faith, but they're not real Christians. But it seems to me uh, just a, a very simple reading of these verses. From that, it certainly appears that true, true branches are being spoken of. The opening word, two words really, of verse 6, if anyone. Now, that's an in, that is an indefinite expression, if anyone. The only reasonable way in interpreting Scripture to get to the meaning of if anyone is to go back to the preceding verse. And the preceding verses seem clearly to speak of true branches. So to me that rules out that kind of a, a, an interpretation of verse 6 there. There's a third view, <clears throat> a third view, and one that I believe happens to be correct. I believe verse 6 is referring to the believer's works, to the believer's works. If you have your Bible, keep your place here in John 15. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. <clears throat> For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation which is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, 
each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, is speaking about a, a Christian's works and saying that they will be, the works will be tried by fire. But again, nowhere in the New Testament is it said, does it say that the branch, the believer, will be associated with eternal torment. Notice also the wording back in, in John uh, is important. It says that he is cast forth, what? As a branch, not as a son. In other words, he is not cast forth as a son, but he is cast forth as a fruit bearer. I think that fits in with First Corinthians chapter 3. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, in dealing with symbols and figures of speech, we need to be careful. We hold to literal interpretation of Scripture without reservation. But symbols, we must be careful not to press every particular detail for some great theological truth. And I think we need to keep that in mind. And then the last reason that I would give uh, for believing that uh, these are believers' works and not the believer is the context. This section deals with abiding in Christ. And it's talking about being a productive Christian. The matter of salvation is not in view here. And we started with that this morning. I understand John fifteen six to refer to the believer's works. So we can relax. Right? We can be fruitless and not be condemned. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing to think about, though? Wouldn't that be a way to, uh, an odd and unusual, strange way to understand this? I can be a Christian. I don't have to bear fruit because I'm not going to be cast out. We have been born again. We have been cultivated. We have been cared for by the vine dresser. And the vine dresser desires that we bear fruit. Have we come to a place where, as a Christian, we can be content not to bear fruit? You know, folks, when you study the Scriptures, you ought to ask some personal questions. Can we be comfortable, as a child of God, not bearing fruit? I hope that we will never be content with that. Let's abide in Him. Let's maintain that constant fellowship and contact with Him. That's what He wants. Well, in verses 7 through 11, there are five confirmations of this. <clears throat> Abiding. First, the first confirmation I would mention is from verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done to you. The first confirmation of abiding is answered prayer. Answered prayer. What a tremendous promise this is. Asking in Jesus' name will eliminate 
asking for selfish things. There are no restrictions on a prayer like this. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done is what verse 7 says. A second confirmation. First is answered prayer. The second is another is glorified. Verse 8, by this is my Father glorified. Our abiding in Christ glorifies our Father. Third confirmation of abiding is awareness of the Savior's love. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. An awareness of the Savior's love. He says, I have loved you. He demonstrated his love for us in his voluntary, sacrificial death on Calvary's cross. An awareness of the Savior's love. Ample obedience is the fourth confirmation. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, keeping the commandments. Obedience. And then the fourth confirmation is joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be made full. His joy in us. You know, I have found, and I'm sure you have too, that if we have His joy in us, we won't be grumbling and griping and complaining. Sometimes we, as the Lord's people, can get bent out of shape over things so insignificant in the light of eternity. Next time you realize you've gotten bent out of shape about something, just ask yourself the question. Well, two questions. Does this reflect the joy of the Lord? And second, what difference does this make in light of eternity? I suspect most of the time we're going to come up with the answer, it doesn't make a lick of difference in light of eternity. None. Oh, how we need the joy of the Lord today. You know as well as I do the, the condition that the world is in, the condition our country is in. Somebody needs to manifest the joy of the Lord. Who's that supposed to be? The Democrats? The Republicans? The Independents? Somebody? It's supposed to be the church to manifest the joy of the Lord. Someone observed, joy is the flag that flies over the castle when the king is in residence. I like that, don't you? Joy is the flag that flies over the castle when the king is in residence. If the joy of the Lord is in us, it will be seen. Can't hide it. Now, I have thought all week about closing my message this way, and I thought, you bet I'm going to do that. And then the next day I think, I'm not going to do that. Go ahead. There it is, John. Thank you. If, 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 if you want me to do it, go talk to John, okay? Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great preacher of another age. And he was emphasizing in a sermon on one occasion that we should make our facial expressions harmonize with our speech. 
In other words, our faces should express to others what we're talking about. And then he ended his message with this. When you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with a reflected glory. And this is the part that I wasn't sure about at all. But when you speak of hell, well, your ordinary face will do. Isn't that terrible? I thought it was funny. <laughs> Folks, let's abide in Christ. Answered prayer, obedience, joy, these things will be a part of it. The fruit of the Spirit will be a part of our abiding in Christ. Love, joy, there it is again. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. These ought to be the things that are come out of us because we are in Christ. There's a union, and there is a communion with Him. Therefore, we are abiding with Him, and the abiding in Him produces that fruit. I don't know, maybe it's just because of the, my needs personally or the world condition or whatever, but I have spent a great deal of time this week thinking about the joy of the Lord. You remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah of old said, The joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. Your strength. God help us. We have everything to be joyful about. We know the Savior. We have Christian friends who know the Savior. We have fellowship with Him. We have His Word in print. Do you know there are still countries around this world that don't have the Bible in print? We do. The joy of the Lord, along with all the others that have been mentioned here. May that be my portion and yours. Pray with me. Lord, we confess that we know more truth than we live. I haven't said anything that these people don't already know this morning. We know the truth, Lord, with James of old. We need to be doers of the Word of God, not hearers only. By your grace, would you enable us to be doers. Help us, Lord, to maintain constant contact with you. Thank you for your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the joy of the Lord be our portion as we go today. Hal Johnson is our deacon of the day. Hal comes to lead us in prayer. And then we'll sing, God be with you, till we meet again. Let's pray. Yeah. Uh, let's have a prayer, please. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to your throne of grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, asking you to grant us peace, wisdom, and safety as we leave this place today. Thank you for the opportunity and the freedom to be able to worship in your house this morning. We offer up special prayers today, Lord, for our mission of the week, Transport for Christ.
And we pray, Lord, that you will bless this ministry and Steve Johnson, which holds services for transport truck drivers so that no professional truck driver will ever be too far from being able to hear the gospel. Father, it is my prayer today that all we do this week will glorify your name so that the kingdom of God may be upheld and furthered. We offer these in all prayers in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.